Starting off a new series this morning, uh, we're talking about Changed is the title of the series. It's going to be about an eight or nine week series. Uh, it's it's going to be good. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a gospel series. We're going to talk about the gospel and how the power of the gospel affects us, right? How it changed us and how it continues to change us. Our, our theme verse, and you'll hear this verse for eight weeks, and I would suggest you memorize it. It's always good to hide God's word in your heart. That keeps us from sin and also keeps us in right line. Amen. Second Corinthians 3.18, Paul says this. He says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Paul is saying everybody who's had the veil removed. You know what I'm talking about when I say veil? It's kind of like on a wedding day. The bride comes up with a veil and, and, and the grooms want to, want to put some lip contact on, right? And, and so you got you to get the veil out the way, right, to get things going, don't you? So it's, it's the veil. Paul is saying when the veil has been removed, you can see and reflect the glory of God. He goes on, he says, and the Lord who is the spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Come on, somebody. Come on. Is it good? I'll read it again. And the Lord who is the spirit. The Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more. Say more and more. more. Say it a little bit stronger. More and more. more. Like him. Not like you. Not like your parents. Not like your idols. Not like your heroes. Not like anybody else on this planet, but like him. You see, if you're going to change and make it worthy to change, you need to change and be like him. Right? Jesus didn't die on the cross so you could be like your mama. Some of you should have said, amen. He didn't die on the cross so you could act like your daddy. Amen. Right? He died on the cross so you could become more and more like him. As we are changed into his glorious Image. So over the next eight weeks, my hope is that you come away with a greater understanding that the gospel is supposed to change us. That when you met Jesus, there was a change. But you're not supposed to just stay at that one change. You're supposed to continue to change. Amen. And that's what I'm, that's my hope for you this week. So we're going to talk about the gospel and how it impacts individuals. That'll be next week's message, marriages, family, church, work, finances, and community. Because here's the deal. The gospel changes all of those. The the gospel doesn't just change you and make you start going to church. The gospel makes you a better employee. Right? You get changed at work. You get changed in your finances. The community should start to change. Right? That's what the gospel does. So I want to start by by answering two questions and then we're going to talk about gospel versus religion is how we're going to end the message today because there's a battle going on and and I think we just need to see what's going on with that. So first question is, what is the gospel? Some of you may be here this morning, you may be new to the faith and and that's okay. And you may be saying, what is this gospel? The gospel is simply this good news. That's what the gospel means. The word gospel technically clearly means good news. 
The gospel is the central message of the Bible. If you go from Genesis to Revelations, it's, it's themed with the gospel. It all points at the gospel. And the gospel is the story. It's the good news of what Jesus did for you and me. That's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus died on a cross so that we could be forgiven of sin, so that we, we could be cleansed from all unrighteousness, we could become new creations, and we can now have a relationship with him. Wouldn't you say that's good news? That the creator of the universe, like Pastor Zach just, man, that was incredible what he just shared. The creator of the universe would want to talk to you. Look at your neighbor and say, hey, he wants to talk to you. And you can look back and say, yeah, even you too. <laughs> Above all, the gospel brings good news about what Jesus did for us rather than instructions about our behavior. Martin Luther said it this way. He said, as sinners, we're prone to pursue the, a relationship with God one of two ways. The first is religion and the second is the gospel. Some people want to get close to Jesus by acting right and changing the way they dress and doing things a little different, thinking that that's going to get you closer to Jesus when that's not the reality. That's not even the gospel. The gospel is not what you can do for Jesus. The gospel is what Jesus did for you. Amen. Remember, he fell in love with you when you were still rotten. He knew you. You didn't think anybody knew you. He knew you. Knew everything about you. Paul says this about the gospel. He says that the gospel is the most important thing. He says that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I passed on to you what was most important and what was also passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scripture said. Paul is saying that what Jesus did on the cross is the most important thing. Paul himself said that. You know, Jesus died on the cross for Paul when Paul was slaying Christians. When Paul was going, drag them out their houses and stoning them and beating them and abusing them because they, they put their faith in Jesus. Jesus died for Paul. The gospel is for Paul. It's the good news for Paul. And that's what changed Paul's life. Is the gospel realizing that in all of his rottenness, all of his filthiness, all of his anger, all of his wrath, all of his passion in the wrong direction. Jesus still died for Paul. Despite everything that Paul did. Jesus died for Paul. So that's what the gospel is. It's simply the good news of what Jesus did for us. Amen. The second question we have this morning is what does the gospel do? And I think it's important to first understand what the gospel is, but then to understand what the gospel does. You say, well, that's great, pastor, that the gospel is what Jesus did for us. Awesome. Good. Good to know. Good information to go home with and put in my little treasure chest. But what I'm going to go a little further. I'm going to bless you this morning. I'm going to go a little further. We're going to talk about what it does. How many of you are interested in what the gospel does to you? Good. I got answers for you. 
When the gospel is received, it brings about salvation, and salvation is a process. Now, when you initially give your life to Jesus, you are saved. The Bible talks about how you got to work out your salvation. You got to work on it. You got salvation is a process. Let me tell you how the process goes. It starts with justification where you are declared righteous in God's eyes because of Jesus. So when you give your life to Jesus, you become justified. We say it like this. It's just as if you did nothing wrong. You follow me? How many of you, if you could go back and in the history you have with your parents, say, and, and just erase the history. Just, you know, like you erase a phone. You just erase everything. How many of you know that would be great, right? Your parents might love you a little better. Right? You would be more justified in their eyes. Well, that's how Jesus sees us. When you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says you are justified just as if you did nothing wrong. Now, the reason that's important is because most of us drag around all of our failures. In a satchel. And it gets heavy. May it's heavy. Right? We, I mean, we, some of you now, you got two hands on it and you got it over your shoulder and you're dragging around your junk. And the whole time, Jesus is going, what you hang on to that bag for? You know, if you let go of that bag, you could run a little looser, a little freer, a little better. Right? When he, he sees you as justified, just as if you did nothing wrong. I may free somebody up this morning. I don't know who it is. but Salvation is a process. It starts with justification, justification where you're declared righteous in God's eyes because of what Jesus does, not because of what you do. Religion says you've got to clean yourself up so that Jesus can get to your heart. The gospel says Jesus is going to get to your heart, and the natural result of that is you're going to get cleaned up. Right? He does an inside job on us, not an outside job. The outside comes as a result of what's going on on the inside. The second part of the process is it continues with sanctification, where you learn and grow by the power of the Holy Spirit to be more and more like Jesus. So you, you've been justified, you've been declared clean, you've been declared right. You now have right standing with God. Your relationship is healthy. And he says, now you're going to go through the sanctification process where you're going to learn to be more and more like Jesus. Right? So you, you give your life to Jesus. You get right standing with him. Now comes the sanctification process where you become like him. It would be nice if it happened on the day you gave your life to Jesus, right? It would be like all your fleshly desires, all your stuff, all your garbage, your junk, all those things that you just keep wanting to do. If that would just go away. Right. I mean, you just like I give my life to you, Jesus. You are now made in the image of Jesus. I mean, wouldn't that be nice? But it's the same. It's called sanctification and it's, it's a process. You know why? I think God just wants us to chase him. I think he just, he just likes to be chased by his people. Come on, you know what it feels like. He lets you feel that feeling when your kids come and they want to spend time with you, right? And they don't have any hidden agendas, like a $10 bill. Is it even a 10 anymore? Maybe a 20. 20 is the new five. I don't know. But when they want to come just hang out with you and they want to just love on you and they want to just bless you, right? how does that feel? 
Think about that feeling right now. That's what Jesus feels when we naturally pursue him and we come after him. Amen. And then it ends with glorification where one day you and I die and are raised with Christ in eternity. Come on, somebody, you need to be looking forward to that day. That glorious day. We don't know when it's going to happen, but there's going to be a day. And if you've given your life to Jesus and, you, and you've now been justified and you've been in the sanctification process where you're becoming more like Jesus, one day you're going to die. And you're going to be raised up with him. That's the good news. Look at your neighbor and say, man, that's good news. That's better than the sale at Macy's. Right? That's good news. That's better than anything I ever heard on Facebook. That's good news. You know what's crazy? We have the good news. There's a lost and dying world that doesn't have the good news. And man, he wants to do something in us to affect the community around us and give them the good news. I mean, it would be as if they came on national TV on all the channels, like when the president comes up and he wrecks all your TV shows. You know what I'm saying? It would be like if the, if the government came up on all the channels and he said, everybody's debt in America has been paid. Everybody goes back to zero as of right now. Man, that's good news. <laughs> Your debt has been paid. It's good news. President Kennedy's famous words were, ask not what you can do for your country, but what you, but what you can do. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I had to write that down because I knew I was going to botch it up and I still botched it up. I need bigger print. But that's what President Kennedy says. Don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for the country. Jesus comes down. He says, don't ask what what you can do for me, but ask what I've already done for you. You see the contrast? Jesus is not trying to get anything from you. He's trying to get next to you. Amen. He just want to get, he just wants to get next to you. Just like with his his disciples. He said, Hey guys, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And he spent his time with those 12 men. That's what he wants to do to us. Amen? Wants to spend time with us. So the gospel does three things for us. Number one, it forgives us. Should have heard an amen. It forgives us. Because Jesus died on the cross, I get to be forgiven of my sins. The slate gets wiped clean. Come on, somebody. Some of you had four or five slates. Right? And they're all clean. I've been forgiven. But you know, there's a difficulty in forgiveness at times. At times, it's okay. And we will shout it down. Oh, yeah, Jesus forgives me. Woo! But I can't forgive myself. I was too rotten. I done too much wrong. I slept with too many people. I did too many drugs. I talked behind too many people's backs. I can't forgive myself. So you want to know what's funny? Is that Jesus dies on a cross so that we can be forgiven. And when we give our life to Jesus, he says, you are forgiven. 
And when Jesus says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. The problem is that we, just like with justification, we walk around with unforgiveness of ourselves. What's wrong? What's wrong, Linda? Done too much wrong. Well, what about Jesus? Jesus is good. I'm not. Right? Isn't that how we act? When Jesus lays a, a passion or a desire on your heart to go and serve somebody or to touch somebody or to give them the good news, what does the enemy come and say? What's he doing? You remember what you did back in grade school? Mm-hmm. You can't tell nobody about the good news because you ain't worth it. You're you still a rotten piece of trash. Right? When God lays a burden on your heart to do something incredible, the enemy comes in and says, no, you can't. He starts acting like the church I grew up in. He starts telling you what you can't do. And the whole time Jesus is telling you what you can do because you're forgiven. Because you're justified. Because you're in the sanctification process. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Not if you got your junk. Not if you got unforgiveness in your heart for yourself or towards other people. Amen. The gospel is, is that he forgives us. We are forgiven. And you know what he wants when he forgave you? He wants you to just live like you're forgiven. Just live like it. You know what that looks like? It looks like you got a little pep in your step. You got a little smile on your face because your slate's been wiped clean. It's like you've just been let out of jail. Some of you need to get locked up so you can get unlocked and see what it feels like, right? Some of you this morning need a fresh touch from Jesus because you don't forgot what it feels like. You've lost your passion. You've lost your desire. And you wonder why nobody wants to hang out with you because you're a believer who's a bum. And you're boudaying. And you got the good news. Got the best news on the planet and you're hanging your lip. You know what Jesus said as he's carrying his cross up to the, to the hill? He gets up there. and They're nailing him and doing all those things, getting ready to stand him up. May even be stood up already. And he prays. And he prays for the people that were just screaming, crucify him. He says, he says these words, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Forgive them because they don't know what they do. Jesus forgives. The question is, is can you live forgiven? Instead, we live like we owe something for our sins still. The debt's been paid in full and you're still trying to pay. It's kind of like when, when one time Cheryl and I, we, we decided for her to quit working and, and stay home and be a stay-home mom. That's just the passion we had. And our income got cut in half. And on paper, we wasn't going to make it financially. But we stepped out in faith and we were tithing. We were doing our thing. And the first month comes and we're, we're a couple hundred bucks short. Ain't going to make it. She gets a refund check from a gynecologist. For four or five hundred dollars. You know that don't happen every day. Anybody got a check this week from your gynecologist? 
you better not, anyway, we're going to leave that one alone. We get a check from the gynecologist, $400. She calls him. She's like, oh, no, uh-uh. No, they, we don't owe them. According to my records, that's the way my wife is. She likes to do things right, and she gets passionate about it. I'm like, baby, keep the check. <laughs> Just keep the check. Like you hadn't deposited already? And she, so she's calling him. Look, according to my records, I owe you this money. You didn't owe me. No, ma'am, Miss Tyler. Our records show that we owe you this. No, sir. My records show you don't owe me this. I think the guy might even say, well, well, ma'am, if you want, you can just cut the check up. I was like, that ain't happening in my house. <laughs> right? But she want to argue with the people. I'm like, hey, take the check. I don't know anything. You know, when you get a good revelation that you're forgiven and you get it deep down in your spirit, you can start living like you're forgiven. You know, that, that, that means that you're going to change the way you're living. That means you're going to want to do right because Jesus forgave you, not because the bald-headed guy said you had to. Right? You're just going to want to do it because it's the natural overflow of your heart because you just love Jesus because he wiped your slate clean. The gospel forgives us. We just need to learn how to live forgiven. It's a much better life. Trust me. I'm learning every day how to live forgiven. Better and better. I'm better than I used to be. I'm changing. The second thing the gospel does is it makes us new. Man, that's good news. Because some of you needed to be new. Right? I did. Somebody said, you you got brainwashing. My brain needed washing. (laughs) If you knew what was going on in here, it needed some Clorox. Right, Mama's homemade soap wasn't going to get that off. I mean, it just needed some real Clorox. The gospel doesn't make us better. It makes us new. It makes us new. Brand new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says this. He said, "This, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Let's break that down for a minute. Paul says anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. That's a past tense term. When you gave your life to to Jesus, you became. You're going to have to get this. Okay. When you gave your life to Jesus, you became. You changed. You went from old to new. You became a new person in that instant. You got to get this. In that instant, you became a new person in God's eyes. And in reality, you've become a new person. Right? That's what the scriptures say. When you give your life to Jesus, you become a new person. The old life is gone. Where is it? In the words of Godwin. He gone. He gone. Godwin from Duck dynasty a couple of you, I saw a couple of you went like he's some Greek philosopher so it's Godwin he lives in North Louisiana he's fat got a big goatee he just says he gone your old man is gone come on look at your neighbor and say he's gone stop acting like him he's gone
And Paul finishes up with this part in this one verse, and he almost repeats himself. He says, a new life has begun. You know, when you say a new life has begun, that means that something's getting started, right? So you give your life to Jesus, you become a new creation. The old is gone, so you don't have to act that way anymore. You don't have to feel that way. You don't have to be that way. It's gone. And he says, a new life has begun. It's starting. It's a process. Come on, somebody. It's going to change. It needs to change. Right? Some of us, we get stuck at salvation. We give our life to Jesus, and we become a new creation, and we just sit there and go, oh, this is nice. It's like you walked into the foyer of a nice house. You go, wow, this house is beautiful. Oh, I just love this foyer. Wow, but you never go see the rest of the house. You just stand there like an idiot and you're just like, it's nice. And so after a while, it becomes weird. You're the only one standing in the foyer saying it's nice. And you're just, and so what happens is in Christianity is you, when you give your life to Jesus and you stop right there, you've got one choice to become religious. And you start saying things that you hear in church as if it were scripture. Right? You may do your hair a little different. You may actually get a hairdo. But you just stay right there and you don't ever change. And time passes on and nothing changes. But here's the crazy that deep down inside, there's something that's banging around in there. It's called the Holy Spirit. And he's running from one rib to the other going, boom. God, we got to get this thing moving. Boom. Do something. All this stuff going on inside of you. And you can't understand why you feel like you feel. So what you try to do, you try to become more religious. Right? And you start thinking, well, if I act right, if I do good things, then God will love me and it will change this inside of me. Right? But that's false. That's a lie. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. We change when we step out of the foyer of Christianity and we go into the living room where the rest of the people are. And you go, oh, this is nice. This is better than the foyer. Wow. I can sit down in the living room. I can be myself in the living room. And something about you starts to change. And you go into another place. God takes you to another place and you change. He's the one standing at the foyer going, you know, there's more to the foyer. There's more to the house than the foyer. Would you just please come out the foyer? I almost feel like somebody's going, how long do we have to sit at the foyer? (laughs) It's a nice foyer. We sure wouldn't have made it so nice. (laughs) Maybe I need to put like a, I'd be be like, I'd put a yellow arrow on the floor (laughs) and move on. Go a little further. 
Can I tell you, we all, we all can get stuck at salvation. We can all get stuck in the foyer. Right? Can we not? Excuse me. Felt weird. But he's saying, let's, let's move on. Let's, let's go. I got more for you. Don't stay right there. Don't start acting weird. Just, just stay in the relation. Just be Jamie. Be who I made you to be. I made you that way because I like that way. Come on, somebody. Some of you are dingy because God made you that way. The world needs dingy people. And they all are not blonde-headed. I just want to tell you. Dingy comes in every color. But thank God for dingy people because they keep life light. Right? And then you got the people that are like me and we're like, we got to go forward. Right? I bore everybody. People get tired of hanging out with me. It gets like stressful. But you need me because otherwise you'd stay in the foyer. Amen? You've got a new life. You've been given a new life. You know, it's funny. We're in the season of, of life now where school's getting ready to start. So what's happening? All the mamas are going shopping, right? And the kids are trying to get all the last minute summer excitement in that they can, right? The only thing my son has on his mind about school is a new pair of tennis shoes. <laughs> That's all he cares about. I mean, he, he's got to wear uniforms. So I'm like, bro, you ain't going to get excited about that anyway. But he, he like saved his money all summer long because he had a vision for a new pair of tennis shoes. And these suckers were expensive. And my wife, I mean, I didn't even have to say nothing. My wife was like, I ain't buying that for you. Well, I'll, I'll buy them. So we went to order them and we snuck him a blessing and paid half. And so he's got these new tennis shoes. Right? So this is his new fascination. Oh, dad, look at my shoes. Dad, these shoes are fast. He doesn't say that anymore. He used to say that when he was a kid. Dad, these shoes are fast. I say, really? That's good. Well, you run fast. But what happened to his old shoes? See, we weren't even thinking about the old shoes. What happens to the old shoes? They get kicked to the curb, right? They don't get taken care of anymore. They don't get tied up or laced up anymore. I mean, but before too long, if, if you're like us, they sit outside till the cobwebs take over or, and the animals move in. And then one day we come and it's time I get enough. I go, okay, we got to clean the carport up and we grab them and we throw them in the trash, right? The old is gone. It's gone. You've been given a new life. Let the old one go. I wish I could tell you to punch somebody in the shoulder and say, let the old one go. It's hard to run a race when you're dragging a dead person. You ever pick up dead weight? You ever mess with something that's dead? I mean, like physically dead? My grandmother was a private sitter and she used to private sit this old Jewish man and he was 90 something years old 
and he fell one night out the bay. He was trying to get out of bed, fell. And she couldn't pick him up, so she called me. It's like 2 in the morning. I come to the house thinking he's a little bitty guy, and this is back when I really had muscles. And I walked in like, I'm going to snatch this guy up and throw him in the bed. I'll be back home in 15 minutes. I went over there, and I grabbed him. He was like, oh. I said, Mama, he's, he's heavy. She said, you telling me? I've been doing this for 15 years. Dead weight is heavy. Jesus didn't die for you to hang on to your old self. As if the new self is going to fail. As if, as if the new self is defected. Or defective. You see, when Jesus gave you this new life, it's a brand new life. Right? That was a good sneeze. Good job, coach. Man, next time, just let that puppy rip, man. That'll bust an eardrum or something. I tried that one time. I saw stars for a week. Just let it go, man. I'm messing with you. It was kind of awkward if I'd have just kept preaching. Maybe awkward for you now, but it's not awkward for me. <laughs> Love you, coach. Don't get stuck at salvation. He died on the cross so that you could be forgiven and so that you could be made new. Let's move on. Number three. It brings us into a relationship. The gospel brings us into a relationship. Not religion relationship first john five twenty. this is one of my favorite verses it was when i read this verse that i had a revelation that you know what i have been given the right to know god and something rose up inside of me like i had been given permission to know god and it changed the way i thought it changed the way i acted first john five twenty. it says and we know that the son of god has come And he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And we now live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he is eternal. John is saying to us that Jesus gives us the right. He gives us the right to know God. Not to read about God. And learn about God. But to know God. I know Miss Joe. Because we spend time together. We've got history together. When she comes over here. I cut up. I say. Oh I'm going to preach today. Miss Joe's in the house. And she comes. And she says. Oh I got to get me a Tyler fix. She got to come see my family. But we have a relationship. We. I've been given the right to have a relationship with Ms. Joe, just like many of the rest of you in this building, right? So you've been given the right to know God. You know what that word know means in the Greek? To have intimate, experiential knowledge of God. How many of you can remember back on your honeymoon? If you was a good little boy and girl, your honeymoon was probably pretty special. Right. But there was a moment during the honeymoon where you got to know each other better. Are you with me? You gained intimate, experiential 
knowledge. In other words, knowledge that comes through intimate experiences of your husband or wife. Right? Well, this is kind of awkward, but just shake your head. We'll get through it. <laughs> I mean, some of you are like, I'm going, <laughs> I'm like, aren't you embarrassed about your honeymoon? I'm like, shoot, I ain't scared. But we've been given the right to be in a relationship. The gospel brings us into relationship with God. Jesus brings us into relationship with God. John also says in that verse that he hears us when we pray. It's a relationship. It it goes back and forth. It's reciprocal. Are you with me? It's reciprocal. It works back and forth. You talk to him. He talks to you. Amen. When he talks to you, it lines up with this. Because there's a lot of voices, right? There's my voice. There's the voice of the world. There's the enemy's voice. Then there's God's voice. It lines up with this. We have been given the right to be in relationship. So now that because of the gospel, you're, you're forgiven, you're brand new, and you've been given the right to be in relationship. It's almost like you've been given an invitation to the party and you can walk in with a bunch of people you don't know and you can be comfortable because you have an invitation. Amen? So let's go to the gospel versus religion. And I'm going to read through this and I just want you to get this. And listen, I just want to make this one little disclaimer. If while I'm reading this, you start to feel frustrated Something inside of you starts to get a little irritated. And you maybe start getting this little kind of rise up in you. I I just want you to let that thing go. Because there's some folks in here that got a religious spirit. You're highly religious. And you can't ever enjoy the relationship while you're being religious. Right? Good. You weren't supposed to say, yeah, that would have been a little weird. You'd be like, yeah, you're talking to me. <laughs> so there's two enemies of the gospel, sin and religion. They're enemies of the gospel. They come across, they, they fight against the gospel. Let's look at what the gospel and religion say to us today. Religion says that if we obey God, he will love us. The gospel says that it is because God has loved us through Jesus, we can obey. Religion says that the world is filled with good and bad people. The gospel says the world is filled with bad people who either repent or don't repent. The goal of religion is to get from God such things as health, wealth, insight, power, and control. The goal of the gospel is not the gifts of God, the gifts that God gives, but rather God as the gift given to us by grace. God becomes the gift and not what he has. Religion is about what I have to do. The gospel is about what Jesus has done. Religion sees hardship in life as punishment from God. The gospel sees hardships in life as sanctifying affliction that reminds me of Jesus's sufferings and is used by God in love to make us more like Jesus. The gospel says that when you suffer, it's God punishing you because you didn't act right and you didn't earn it. That's what religion says. The gospel says that you, you're going to go through stuff. And when you go through that stuff, you're going to become more like Jesus. It's a process that God uses. Amen. 
Religion is about me. The gospel is about Jesus. Religion leads to uncertainty about my standing before God because I never know if I've done enough to please him. Booyah. With religion, you can never do enough. You can never earn it. You never know where you stand with God with religion. You don't know if you're in God or okay or not. It's kind of like when you used to walk into the house when you was a kid. You didn't know if your parents were mad at you or not. Right? You just don't know where you stand. The gospel leads us to certainty about my standing before God because of the finished work of Jesus on my behalf on the cross. Remember, you've been justified. Religion ends in either people religion ends in either pride where you think that I'm better than other people or despair I continually fall short of God's commands. That's where you end up with religion, either prideful or in despair. The gospel ends in humble and confident joy because of the power of Jesus at work for me, in me, through me, and sometimes in spite of me. Let me give it to you in a nutshell. Jesus suffered, died on the cross, and rose from the grave three days later so that you, so that when you receive him, you are made new, intended to change more and more like him. You're intended to change. Something should be different about you today than yesterday. When was the last time you repented for something? When was the last time you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit tell you to turn around and do something different? When's the last time that happened? You're supposed to change. We're supposed to become more and more like Jesus. Not more and more like me. Amen? You're meant to change. Some of you today are stuck at salvation. Some of you haven't even made it to salvation. And some of you have gotten past salvation and maybe you're working your way on. Some of you are religious this morning. Some of you have a religious spirit. And that's not a bad word. It just means that you've been taught wrong or you understand wrong. You think that you can earn this relationship with God and you can get close to God because of what you do. And that's not the truth. Because you know what that leads to? That leads to burnout. That leads to frustration. That leads to despair. Because you can't ever do enough. You become exhausted. And you start faking it. When you're around other people. (laughs) The funny thing is your kids know when you're being religious. Because you're one way at church and you're another way at the house. (laughs) My poor grandma, I love her to death. But boy, she used to cuss when she'd get out of church. She'd sit on the back porch and cuss. I mean, like 10 minutes out of time, like grandma. She was religious. So I want to do something different this morning. I want to take a little time 
Greg, can you come pull this thing out the way? Please. I want to meet with Jesus this morning. I want you to meet Jesus this morning. And for some of you, when I say I want you to meet Jesus, that might mean that you need to meet him for the first time. And some of you, or some of you others, it might mean that you need to go and meet him again. Maybe reintroduce yourself. And all I'm asking you to do is if you've, if you've been in any of those categories, wherever you find yourself at today, whatever the Holy Spirit's dealing with you about, I just want to move that out the way. Can we do that? Can we just go back to relationship? Can we just receive what the gospel has done for us and just come back at the feet of Jesus and just let him refresh us and pour back into us and lay his hand on us and tell us how much he loves us? And so that all that religious, all that works, all that bad thinking, all that junk can just go away. How many of you would want that this morning? So I'm going to give an invitation. I invite you to come to the altar this morning. And I invite you to kneel down and pray and do whatever you need to do before Jesus. Because I can't come and take something away from you and make you right with God. Right? You see, when we pick things up, it's our responsibility to let them go. Some of you started this whole relationship with all this good stuff going on. And all of a sudden, it became strangely dim. And you can't figure out why. This morning, I just want you to come to the front. Right now, just stand up with me. Just right now. I just want you to come to the front. There's not room. Just get behind somebody. And just go make it right. Is all I'm asking you. Just come make it right. Wherever you are, whoever you are today, whatever the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you about, all I want you to do this morning is just come and lay it at the altar. Just come give it to Jesus this morning. And all you got to do is say, Lord, I just, I surrender. I surrender, Lord. I surrender my pride. I surrender my arrogance. Lord, forgive me. You need to ask for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for pushing the gospel to the side. Forgive me for doing things my own way. Whoever you are this morning, don't pass this moment up. Don't pass this up. Maybe you just got something inside of you that says, I just need to be plugged back into the source. I just need to be reconnected with Jesus. My battery is low. Maybe your battery's dead. Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. This very hour, I need you, Lord. I want to be in relationship with you. Lord, I don't want to be far away from you anymore. I want to sit at your table. I want to dine with you, Lord. And I want you to dine with me and I want to have conversation. Lord, I thank you that I'm forgiven. And maybe today I just need to let go and forgive myself. If that's you this morning, you need to forgive yourself. Then forgive yourself. Lay that unforgiveness at the cross. Maybe you've been religious. And you didn't even realize you were being religious. That's okay. 
Just lay that religion at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I don't want to be religious. I don't want to act like I know you. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. Right now, in this moment, I just, I invite you to come.